me and she said, Shane, I appreciate you preaching this week. And I said, thank you, Karen, but I only have one good sermon in me. And she said, well, when are you going to preach that one? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to study this morning four things that Sylvania Church needs to be devoted to. Four things Sylvania Church needs to be devoted to. And the scripture reading will be lengthy, but we'll be through before you know it. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through the end of the chapter, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. 
For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe or fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. You see at the end of this passage that the disciples were to be devoted to four things. And the first thing they were to be devoted to was the apostles' teaching. And I want you to note that the word apostles there is plural, but the word teaching is singular. The apostles spoke with one voice, and they taught a common doctrine amongst them. And we're going to walk through Peter's sermon this morning, and we're going to see what the apostles' teaching was about Christ. The first thing you'll note about the apostles teaching on the day of Pentecost is that we live in an age of fulfillment. Were you to walk into my Sunday school class this morning, you could see on the whiteboard where Jacob Schulenberger has written all the times in the gospel of Matthew. Where it is recorded that Jesus Christ, through his ministry, fulfilled the scripture. Not only individual scriptures about his birth and his death or escaping or coming out of Egypt after having escaped the slaughter of the innocents. Thank you. 
but also where Jesus declares that he has fulfilled all the law by his life and work and death and burial and resurrection. We live in an age of fulfillment. And when Peter saw the phenomenon happening before him, cloven tongues of fire resting on people's heads, people speaking in all manner of languages, the mighty works of God. Peter declared to his hearers that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he declared to his hearers that very day that this is a new time. And you can read that story and read the prophecy of Joel and you'll see that what Joel was prophesying was two things. One, judgment on Israel. And that judgment on Israel is seen in the many and various languages being spoken that day. They were in awe these languages were spoken, not only because these unlearned Galileans could speak them, but that sermons about the mighty works of God were being spoken in pagan languages. And right there, God was declaring in the shadow of the temple that there was judgment on national Israel, but also concomitantly that there is a worldwide nature of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is not confined to a small region in the Middle East. But that the kingdom of God is characterized by men of all people groups coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles' teaching is that we live in an age of fulfillment. And you'll see that after he said what they were seeing was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, was Peter started telling them about the mighty works and wonders that God did through Christ in their midst. Have you ever noticed that in the Apostles' Creed, you go straight from the birth of Christ to his crucifixion? But the Gospels don't do that. The Apostles' Creed kind of elides over the life and the teaching of Christ. And I'm not anti-Apostles' Creed, but it is a deficiency. For to fulfill the law, as Christ said, he had not only to be born and to die, but he had to live and display the power of God through his works and teaching on earth. Amen. And so Peter got up and he preached about the mighty works and wonders done through Christ Jesus. And the next thing the apostles teaching says. In verse 23 is that Jesus was delivered over. But he was delivered over not by happenstance. Jesus was not a failed Messiah who tried to militarily take out Rome and failed. He was delivered over according to the what? The definite plan of God. And aren't you glad you serve a God with a definite plan? Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a God with a definite plan. But that definite plan not only included the cross. But it includes what the cross would accomplish. Jesus Christ didn't die on that cross hoping that something would happen. 
Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but I came to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of them whom he has given me. God had a definite plan, and that is the apostles' teaching. Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And Ollie, then he says, in love, he predestined us to what? Adoption as sons. And when we have people in this church who have been adopted, and when you see somebody adopted, you are seeing a living expression of the gospel. For we were not naturally born as children of God. We were adopted in love for the purposes of Christ. And you see at the end of the passage that it was the Lord who added to their number, wasn't it? They did not add to their number on their own. After Paul's great sermon in Acts chapter 13, you would read, As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Paul says it does not depend, salvation does not depend on man who wills or runs, but on God who has mercy. You read the Apostle John, he says that those who are born again are not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is the Apostle's plural, singular teaching. Amen. And Peter was not afraid to declare to his audience where they were in sin. For he declares not only that was Christ delivered over according to the definite plan of God, but that you crucified and killed him. He says that to a group of thousands of people. And he reiterates it later in his sermon. And that is not the only time Peter would do that. You can read in Acts chapter 3, just turn the page after Peter heals the lame beggar at the portico, at the Solomon, the portico of Solomon. When he preaches... And tells them what they've seen. He accuses his audience of killing Christ after he's arrested the next chapter. And he's preaching the next day to the wicked Sadducees, Caiaphas and his minions. He tells those men that they crucified the Messiah. The apostles teaching is not afraid to tell their audience, their congregation when they are in sin. But all this wouldn't matter if you didn't have verse 24. God raised him up. We celebrate every Sunday the resurrection of our Lord. Have you thought about that? Your physical act of coming to church the first day of the week When you do that, you are declaring to the world that Jesus Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week. It is a radical change in the early church that the people of God go from worshiping on Saturday to Sunday. And that happens because they wanted to declare that Christ had fulfilled the law, culminating in his resurrection. And you see that. The Apostle Peter cites to Psalm 16. 
And I'm a fan of Psalm 16:10 that you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. The Apostle Paul cited that same psalm in his first sermon in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 13. The Apostles, plural, had a singular teaching. And he taught not only that Christ was resurrected from the dead, but that Christ is king. You recall the Davidic covenant. God tells David that there's going to be one after him who will sit on his throne forever. And David was no stranger to death. He himself had killed many. He himself had seen many die and knew that he would be buried in a tomb. But the promise was made to him that he would have a descendant who reigned forever. And dear friend, there are those who have a theological grid that awaits that reign. And I'm here to tell you that is wrong. Christ reigns now. Christ is king. Not only is he king, go down to verse 30. Go down to verse 34. For David said, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Not only is Christ king, but Christ conquers. We have a conquering king, not in a way that anyone expected. You know, ultimately, the crime, so to speak, for which Christ was crucified was declaring that he was king. It was not uncommon in Rome when a man was crucified to write the indictment above his head. And what was written above Christ's head? King of the Jews. Well, they were partly right. For he is not king of the Jews only. He is king of all men. And if you're a child of God, he is your king and a merciful savior. But be warned. Peter would write in his second epistle, warning of false prophets denying their master who bought them. And the word master there is the Greek word despotos, from where we get the word despot. And so our conquering king to us is a merciful savior. And it should give us all pause to know that if you're not a child of God, he is a sovereign despot. Christ is a king and he is a king who conquers. And then the apostles teaching is that God has made him both Lord and Christ. There were many and various views about what a Messiah would be. That's the Christ. He has fulfilled all of those things. And when Peter says he is both Lord and Christ, he is again declaring in this teaching that Christ is Lord and King over all things. And when his hearers understood that they're now living in an age of fulfillment, where these cloven tongues of fire have come down as the Shekinah glory came down at the dedication of the first temple. When they heard that they have been accused and indeed are guilty of crucifying the son of God. 
and that it was part of God's plan all along, that this man whom they killed is God and king, they couldn't help to ask, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. And the answer Peter gave them was the same in the year 32 AD as it is today. Repent and be baptized. The apostles teaching is universally a call to repentance. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't just point out. In these couple of verses here, 38 and 39. This is for free. This is one of those texts that people have their own interpretations of, and it just creates a number of spinoff denominations. Have you ever thought about this with this text? Church of Christ can read this and say, repent and be baptized. See, you have to be baptized to be saved. The charismatic will read this text and say, see, if you repent, you'll get the gift of the Holy Ghost. They'll have their own interpretation about that. And the covenantalist will read this and say, oh, look, the promise is for you and your children and kind of ignore everybody who's afar off. This little two verses of scripture, people take it and run with it. But I'm going to tell you just real simply how we should read it. We should read it as a call to repentance. And that's how his hearers read it. For 3,000 men came to the Lord that day, not starting new denominations or coming up with fancy interpretations of this text, but repenting of their sin to the Lord Jesus. And you see in this text, it is a promise for all people. Jesus said right before his ascension, the apostles were with him. And kind of in the last time they were going to, it's the last opportunity they had really to misunderstand the teaching of Christ. Those apostles looked at him and said, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you finally going to do it? Not understanding still what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus looked at them and said, it's not for you to know times or seasons. That the father is fixed upon his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you from on high. And that power, he says, would enable them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was a declaration that Peter finally understood on the day of Pentecost that the nature of the kingdom is a worldwide kingdom. And this call to repentance is not a call to the Jew only, but to all people. Four things the Sylvania church must be devoted to. One, the apostles' teaching. Two, you're to be devoted to the fellowship. Have you thought about your responsibility as a church member to be devoted to the fellowship? I tell you what, sometimes church members treat their membership as leverage. I'm going to leave if I don't get this. And that is anathema to the word of God. The apostles teaching is to call you to be devoted to the fellowship. 
Jesus said at the end of his towards the end of his ministry, just before the Passover. He called his disciples together and he said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. In fact, he said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And we read in John chapter 13, where it's written of Jesus having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The apostle John wrote that we know that we have passed from death to life because we have love for the brethren. And if you do not love the brothers, you abide in death. This call to be devoted to the fellowship is a holy calling and it is a divine calling that we are given. Are you devoted to the fellowship? God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, he Christ gave his life. You are called, dear friend, not only to love the brothers, but to love your neighbor and to love your enemy. And so often when people get upset in church, they're treating their fellow brothers as though they're the enemy. And Christ has told you, you're to love that person. So, dear friend, if you are sideways with something in this congregation this morning. I want you to understand your call to be devoted to the fellowship. And if you're sideways with somebody here, you need to call and invite them to dinner. And Philip's not here, so I can say it. You can call and have a beer with them. Just figure it out. Okay? You need to be devoted to the fellowship. Well, you're to be devoted not only to the apostles' teaching... And devoted to the fellowship, but you're to be devoted to breaking of bread. And here the term is ambiguous. You could read this as referring to the Lord's table. You could read this as referring to just having people over and having dinner with them. Or you could read it as both. But every month, I'm I'm so glad that Sylvania Church celebrates communion often. Growing up, I went to a church and we celebrated every quarter. There are places that do it once a year. I'm glad we celebrate communion once a month. Every time we do that, we take the bread and we take the cup. Do you know that you are preaching a sermon about the crucifixion of our Lord? That little meal should be a solemnifying moment in your life every Lord's Day when we do it. And it should remind you of your sin That Christ died for that sin. And that we do not have Resurrection Sunday without the blood of Christ being spilled. And if you want to be devoted to the apostles teaching and if you want to be devoted to the fellowship. You need to be devoted to the breaking of bread on the Lord's day. And we see that you're to be devoted to the prayers. If you have the NASB, it'll say prayer, and it'll give you a little note that says it could be interpreted the prayers. And I'm not smart enough to know what that means, but I can tell you there's a few different interpretations of this. One is that people are just devoted generally to prayer. Jesus, of course, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and called his disciples to pray, but they couldn't do it. 
fell asleep. Once empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we looked at last week, when the man of God was in prison, the church prayed. And I thank God that we serve a God that answers prayer. And he does answer prayer. And he calls his people to pray to him. And he taught his people to pray to him. And you can read through the book of Acts and you will see a people called of God praying to him all the time. Paul says you're to pray without ceasing. He says elsewhere that you're to pray at all times in the spirit with prayers and supplications. And that you are to pray all supplications for the brothers. You're to pray for your fellow church member. And you can see in the book of Acts and elsewhere where people are praying the scriptures. When Peter and John got released from prison in Acts chapter four, they went back to church. And the people of the church prayed, thanking God for delivering these men. And quoting one of the Psalms in their prayer. When you find yourself not knowing what to pray. You can never do wrong praying God's word back to him and he'll bless you for it. He really will. And you yourself, we discussed this this morning in Sunday school, you yourself, you know, are a living temple to God. The first temple made of stone was a place where heaven and earth would meet. The place where the people of God could go and seek atonement for their sins, make sacrifices. Great sacrifice has now been made by Christ. And you are now the temple. Christ is the temple. The church is the temple. But the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You don't have to go anywhere to commune with him. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of his people means that even walking around, you can pray. And he is always near. And he is always with you. Four things Sylvania Church should be devoted to. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Father, thank you for your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the definite plan you had to redeem a people for yourself. Lord, keep us mindful of that redemption. Move us to love you and move us to love this fellowship. Move us to break bread with one another socially and in communion. And Father, move us day to day and without ceasing to pray in Christ's name. Amen.